There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again for yet another week. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just notice um, 3rd of September will be 12 years old. So um, yeah, this is my, my on the on the dawn of uh, the 12th anniversary, um, we're going to have a great show today, a really thoughtful, thought-provoking one with my guest, Giles Hutchins. And um, this is the 526th unique, uh, unique episode. So, you know, for anyone who's, who's stuck with us from the beginning, thank you so much. It's uh, it's appreciated. And I also do love to get your questions, your comments, when they come through, your ideas. They're always greatly appreciated. So um, I'd like to say, um, firstly, a thank you to uh, my guest last week. I talked with Tom Schwab. Uh, Tom has an organization that uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a digital entrepreneur. He's, um, his, his background was actually the, the military. Um, but we talked about guesting in particular on podcasts and, and uh, power of communication, authentic communication. And that's one of the great things with podcasts and why they become so popular is that um, people are having authentic conversations uh, and um, not, uh, you know, of, often not contrived, heartfelt and people can get really good, insightful information from them. And we talked a bit about guesting. We t I shared um, some ideas and thoughts about hosting. Should you host? Should you guest? Well, hosting takes a lot of work and a lot of commitment. Um, I can assure you, um, having done 12 years now, um, but uh, the um, guesting can be a really valuable way to reach uh, an awful lot of people. And their organisations from the interview ballet help connect people um, with um people um, who are maybe speakers, writers, et cetera, and help them to get booked on lots and lots of uh, great po podcasts. Um, also, I just want to say thank you to Paul Hargreaves. Paul introduced me to my guest today, Giles Hutchins. And we're going to talk about a, a subject which I just think is it's just so important. And it's so in touch, I think, with the essence of um, what I want this show to be about. I want this show to be about elevating business and doing things in a way that contributes to a better world rather than having a, a, a negative impact. And business has had a negative impact in many ways on the on the planet and the environment. And we're all aware we're seeing it. We're seeing it happen. We're seeing it impact our weather patterns. We're seeing the environment. We're probably noticing um, the consequences that are happening on uh, around nature and uh, the, the amount of it and the damage to it. And, and therefore, it requires a different way of thinking. It needs a different um, way of uh, leading. And my guest today is Giles Hutchins. He's a, a visionary thought leader. Uh, he's an author. And we're going to talk about regenerative leadership um, because leadership has to change. That old paradigm of conventional leadership needs to become obsolete. Uh, and we, as uh, my guest will share today, we need to learn how to become more in harmony in our work with nature. Now, Giles is an author, he's a co-author, he's written loads of loads of books and papers, The Nature of Business, The Illusion of Separation, Future Fit, 
regenerative leadership. And, um, and his uh, latest book is called Leading by Nature. He's the chair of the Future Fit Leadership Academy and founder of Leadership Immersions. And he runs a 60-acre leadership centre at Springwood Farm in the UK, and he, where he takes people to experience nature. And I guess to think about the questions that are really, really important today. He's got an amazing background. You can read his bio and around. Uh, he's been a global director at KPMG, and he's had um, various um, roles, head of sustainability, um, for ATOS, which are 150,000 employees in 40 countries. So let's have a, a, a talk about this. You know, whether you're a corporate leader, uh, an emerging leader, you're passionate about positive change, you care about the environment, you're going to get some takeaways today. So recommend maybe a pen or, and, and some paper and take away, you know, a few actions for yourself that can maybe help you to sh make this transition towards becoming a regenerative leader. Big welcome to Charles Hutchins. Lovely. Pleasure to be here with you, Chris, today. Thank you for inviting me. You're very, very welcome. So, Giles, I, I alluded to this um, this place called Springwood Farm, which sounds um, sounds amazing. 60 acres of uh, land. Is that is that home? Is that where you, are, are, you know, you're from? Tell, tell us a bit about your home in Springwood. Yeah, it's, it is my it is our home. My, my wife and two two daughters. We live here. Um, uh, we've only been here four years actually um, uh, this summer, um, so it's not it's not where I'm from. Um, but yeah, we we came here through sort of some synchronicities really, and it, I think it was meant to be. And I run a lot of my leadership work here. So obviously, I do a lot of stuff online internationally. But clients also come here who can, and we go deep into nature in the ancient woodlands of Springwood. Wow, and that's somewhere somewhere near London, actually, isn't it? Yeah, sort of halfway between Brighton and London, um, so Sussex for, for 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 those who know England. So yeah, it's um, it's a short train ride from London. And do you manage that in a you know in a very sort of regenerative way? Is 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 this part of the your grand plan as well to? Yeah, as as much as I can, you know, almost perhaps biodynamic, you know, as in, you know, really in tune with the, the cycles and, and the rhythms. And um, I would say I'm, I'm not managing it. I'm at best um, a guardian, um, probably helping clean it up from previous human interactions. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously planting um, more trees and we have a, you know, an organic um, garden for food and so forth. But actually the woodlands... Um, it really is a case of just allowing them to be and um, tuning into the wisdom of the woodlands, I'd say. So actually, I'd say, if anything, they're, they're, they're teaching and managing me rather than me them. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really honoured to be here and work with the powerful energy that is this place. That's, that's really interesting. So, you, so, so re you're really kind of embracing this idea of, uh, of you know, it's all being at one with nature and it being inter interrelated and I guess you talk about in your in the illusion of separation. I think I wrote down the words dynamic interplay. Um, there, there is some, there is an energy in woodlands, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I've had throughout my life these experiences from from very early on, and um, many of them I couldn't really sort of fully comprehend. But it's only been much later in life that I've realised the power of, of nature, of working with nature and how much that can inform us. And actually to be truly human is to work with the grain of nature, to really uh, uh, open ourselves to what I call nature's wisdom and work in harmony with it. Much of the problems today, if not all of the problems today, stem from um, the fact that we're not working with the grain of nature. We're out of tune with it. 
How did you tell, tell us a bit then about your sort of alluded experience, as you said, about your origin story and how you came to be doing what you do and feeling so passionate about this. I, I can see you at the moment and the way your eyes lit up when you talked about this, you know, this interconnection with nature. You know, this this is completely on purpose for you. Where did, where did that originate? Well, I, I, as far as I can remember, I think the first sort of experience I had was around the age of about seven. Um, although, according to my parents, even before I was seven, I was, you know, quite interested in, in, in nature. We used to watch lots of nature programs and I'd ask lots of questions and so forth. But it was actually in nature. I had this experience that lasted for about an hour um, uh, where I was completely just in another realm quite frankly um i can still remember it vaguely now but um only bits of it but certainly i think what, what happened during that period of time and i felt very um at one uh, and connected and uh, even though it wasn't an outer body experience i never felt scared at any point in time quite the opposite i felt suddenly like oh this is this is it <laughs> um and uh that helped i think informed something in me and i can remember you know over the years as a child having many discussions with my parents about you know it was it was david attenborough and his nature programs and you know that mu much of the way we portrayed nature as essentially you know this sort of you know blind instinct and things just you know like the salmon finding their way home just because of instinct things like that i questioned and it took me a lot longer in life to then understand about things like morphic fields and uh, and how nature really works but i always used to challenge the mainstream thinking um but then when i was much older at the age of about 15 16 then i had this other sort of awakening if you like or epiphany where it was actually because of a maths teacher um, um surprisingly enough um, um i didn't know but he was he was actually a vegan and he showed us these videos of animals being tested on live in laboratories and um, being skinned alive in, in abattoirs and it really quite frankly shocked me big time you know I was I was really felt like something was you know almost sort of putting a lance into my into my heart and obviously everybody really quite frankly in that class about 30 of us was was shocked there was no doubt about it but what was interesting and what unfolded for me that day was two different streams one was that the wheels came off the road for me in terms of civilization because I could could not comprehend that, that this was civilized and that then when I asked questions about my parents and other people and then started finding out about you know chaining the rainforest down and all these other things that then led on this exploration that actually hang on a minute why wasn't why aren't we being told this why, why is this not hang, this is going on and we're not talking about you know I just couldn't quite understand so that 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 definitely um took me down a a path of wanting to know more but the second thing was probably just as interesting was the fact that you know here we were a group of interesting um people at the age of 15 all intelligent um actually within a few hours of those quite awful videos most people had moved on and it was quite interesting for me to experience that uh that actually how easy we are just to go along with stuff you know we just it's you know okay we've moved on by the end of the week i think it was only me and one other person still going you know still thinking hang on a minute this is this is bizarre and you know what do we do and and by the weekend the following weekend it was literally just me and i then decided to actually to be a 
a vegetarian. I'm not saying people need to be vegetarians or vegans. That's not the point. But I, I did decide to in, in a school that just simply didn't cater for vegetarians. So for the next two years, I just had the, you know, little, little bits of watery cabbage on the side of the plate. <laughs> um, but so that was interesting for me. I think that was quite a pivotal moment. And then there have been other out-of-body and near-death experiences through my life ever since, really. I mean, it's some interesting themes there. And it's surprising how many people I, I speak to who are so accomplished in their work and had those experiences early on. Um, it's it, There's definitely been a theme over all the, sh the shows that I've done. Um, so you've, you're absolutely not alone. And um, I, I, I can't quite myself have to experience that, but I have experienced and I do experience the energy that you get with nature. I mean, I try and get out in there as much as I can every morning i feel that i feel that the first self-development book everywhere was the celestine prophecy yeah i remember that yeah <laughs> so that, you know that that energy in the in, in in objects and the kind of field around it and you you know for me that's always been an important um part and then you talk about your nature i i, I got an excitement at age seven for my birthday on nature and i used to sit there and with david attenborough and i got my little notebook and i've been making notes and then my wife um she's a gp and she went to an abattoir uh, in her training and uh, never ate meat again mm. uh, they tried to get to, to put you through those things so you you see unpleasant things and can deal with it and she mm. never, never ate meat again mm. uh, so anyway good news is a vegetarian diet does seem to help people live longer as well that's also uh, very good i think yeah i mean it's uh, probably okay to have some meat as long as it's, i think the point is let's just be conscious of you know i mean uh, we're at least conscious now of where we get our meat from um so are we are we select are we getting meat and it's been looked looked after in some kind of humane way um that said i think that the, the amount of meat that we tend to eat as a family is probably significantly lower than average i think we probably do generally eat way too much meat and um, things like that and it's quite heavy for the body yes de de definitely def definitely definitely we, we, we have only limited amounts and i think it's a it's a good a good thing i'm gonna just uh, make a little we'll keep on keep on going because i want to keep on talking because this is fascinating i want to talk about separation if we can yeah because uh, i i would read through your book the illusion of separation and you you share the story in there really the the, the cause is the current crisis yeah why in, in if you can explain this in a nutshell you've been a whole book on this and i appreciate this is not totally easy why have we lost that separation that indigenous populations had um still still do they, you know they understood these things and, and and what we might have described as civilized society um you know ignored it and repelled it and uh made it sound like it was something that was um you know primeval and not relevant why have we lost that um that connection well, there are, uh, uh, as you say, there's there's a whole philosophic and historic reason for this, born out of a militarized mind, rising patriarchy, ego explosion, um, all sorts of things that we can find in our history. That, but still, for the vast part of our human history, we have had this deep sense of connection. Uh, as far as I've explored in detail, it was really over the last four to five hundred years since the advent of the scientific revolution that we've really come this sense of separateness has really accelerated. Um, and so um, 
what I talk about in regenerative leadership is how these sort of four splits have occurred, you know, fractures in our psyche or way of attending to life, really imbalances, you might call them one around the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. We've become more dominant in the left hemisphere, which is by its nature starting, it, it, it abstracts reality. It takes things out of their lived in context and, you know, puts things into bits and bytes and that's become more dominant. So our right brain hemisphere, which sees things in the context, you know, more connected, is actually um, no longer uh, as fully active um, in uh, mainstream population. Now, one could argue that when we're children and when we're born, you know, we've got that balance. It's not that it's being sort of brainwashed out of us. It's just when we grow up due to all sorts of reasons, education, acculturation, um, uh, parenting and so forth, actually we, we get we prioritize more the left hemisphere. We also prioritize the masculine rather than the feminine. And so what I mean here is not male and female inside each of us. We have these masculine and feminine energies, you know, like the animus and anima in the psyche and the masculine, which is more getting the job done, focusing, driving forward, achieving um, has become more dominant. And the feminine holding space, receptivity, compassion, understanding has become less and so, again, there's a sort of imbalance there that's formed in society in general. And also going hand in hand with that is this sense of outer and inner. We're focused more on the outer and we're impoverishing the inner, our inner scape. And all of that is underpinned by this sense that we humans are separate from nature, that nature is essentially just a resource. It's no longer sacred. It has no sense of connection to us and therefore we can plunder it and exploit it. And that sense of separateness from our own home because it is it's part of who we are creates those other splits those other fractures and so we probably all sense this you know there's this sense of always under, underneath it all a slight nagging insecurity uh, a sense of loss um, and 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 all of that feeds these imbalances and the problem is is these imbalances then have a cycle a vicious cycle to them you know the more we get that sense of separateness from nature, the more we feel we have to achieve and hold on and drive. And the more we have to achieve and drive, the more we lose that sense of connection. So it, it's unfortunate, but it's vital now for leaders and for all of us to start finding that rebalance inside ourselves. Yeah. And, and I did another sort of system I was thinking about, you know, sort of capitalism and, and money, you know, um, being, being driven by money. I was, I was, learning only a couple of days ago about you know in, in the united states for example you know, people need about two thousand calories a day but the the system over there product of production generates about four thousand calories per day and and people on average are having three thousand six hundred so you know uh and, and that was that was done you know exploiting really nature and resources for money um and uh, you know, portion sized increase and all that kind of thing, which is, which is crazy, isn't it? Because we don't, we don't need, we don't need that. Um, though that sort of competitiveness, that need to grow, to expand, to um, you know increase profit, is um, it, it, it's driving us crazy. <laughs> yeah, but we all have this ego, um, and, and what's happened, and I talk about. Um, propaganda um, that came out of the Second World War and Edward Bernays's and other work in that in the illusion of separation. What's happened is we're feeding it through a consumerist society for various 
reasons, rather than allowing our educational uh, awareness to root us back in. You know, for the ancient Greeks, education was to draw ourselves out, to be more connected to who we are. And instead, we're pulling ourselves away from it, as you say, essentially, probably to to make money and, and to exploit. But that is unrooting us from life, and it's creating all these problems that we're facing today. And as Albert Einstein says, we can't deal with these problems with the same level of consciousness that created them. We can't deal with them with that sense of separateness and fragmentation and imbalance. That's just going to create further problems. So we do have to, you know, in, in a funny kind of way, the very situation we're creating is the very situation that's waking us up to enable us to get back with the program. Yeah. And sometimes we need that. We need to be woken up, don't we? Yeah. We need, we need something to happen and things to happen that we can see and feel emotionally for us to have the calling to do something about it yeah and, and that happens in our own lives when we go through shifts like midlife crises and so forth we you know we realize we're no longer perhaps you know we perhaps followed the the path the traditional path of success um and achievement and realized that that's not fulfilling us and then something happens either in our lives we have a sense of dissonance a sense of shallowness or emptiness or something happens externally, like I know a friend dies, or um, you know we lose our jobs, and that acts as a as a shift for us. And the same is happening in society. You know, all of this stuff that we're facing is helping cajole us into a new way. And this is what we this is what lead by nature is about, is it? Yeah, leading by nature is really um, helping leaders shift from that um, imbalanced um, overachiever process what i call a control manage tendency which is you know quite tight it's quite stressful and it's not going to work in the increasing volatility that we're facing to actually a sense respond dynamic where we can tune with and we can create organizations that are adaptive and that are more purposeful and so it helps the organization thrive um, but just as importantly it helps us thrive and it helps us as leaders then create cultures that are becoming more human more in tune with with life because that, that's important, isn't it? Because if the prevailing culture isn't one that's in tune uh, and, you're, and you're an individual leader within it, you, you're going you're gonna to struggle, aren't you? Yeah. You've got to change the system, I guess. Yeah, you, yeah. Uh, and actually, organisations as little systems are quite size, you know, they're the right size to start working with. If you're going to try and change um, the whole of human civilization in one go, you can get lost in it. But actually, organisations are, uh, are little mini ecosystems that you can work with you know yeah and um and, and I, I i i guess um do you do you find that um people now and you know, chief executives of organizations are becoming much more mindful of this um it, are they are they much more open to change than maybe they were a few years ago sure i mean i really started speaking more overtly about business inspired by nature and regenerative leadership about 12 years ago uh, before i left corporate life um, started running workshops on it and back then it was very edgy very innovative and yeah there were people um uh, but actually i would say now i mean gosh it's it's everywhere actually you know the meme is starting to develop to the point that if you're not careful it goes a bit too far the other way whereas it gets watered down and, and people don't truly understand but that's okay because that's part of any you know anything developing but i would say definitely i've noticed leaders 
not only interested in, you know, well, what is regenerative leadership, but actually interested in their own journey of what you might call spiritual development or just becoming more whole um, and just starting to teeter into that and therefore looking for guides that can help them through that process. Yeah, because I guess, I guess for some of your people, there's probably that kind of hidden yearning that's been been covered over by uh, by experience, life's experience and and life's culture etc uh, and this maybe there's a there's a time this is maybe opening up that opportunity to go and explore that hidden yearning that sat there in the background that's created some dissonance yeah I mean, it's there. It's a sort of haunting feel for a lot of people that it's very easy just to close the door on it and suppress it. But what I found is that a lot of these sort of alpha males and females, I've, 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 I've been coaching some very strong, powerful, influential women recently, that actually, whilst they got this persona of being these sort of, you know, very solid, in-touch um, uh, powerhouses, often they have been quite sensitive as children and been hurt um, because of the system and then decided to toughen up. And it's that that's driven them. And they're now they're getting to a point in their life where they're going, well, I've got this success, but something's not right. And then they're starting to then allow themselves to open, which is quite difficult because, of course, the very armor that they've created has enabled them to be successful. So to take off the successful armor <laughs> um, requires courage. Um, and I think what we're also saying, if people have to become more emotionally intelligent to deal with this problem and this big, big challenge that we have. Uh, and to become emotionally intelligent, you have to become more self-aware and be able to manage yourself. Uh, and that requires, uh, from my experience anyway, deep, meaningful work. I mean, that's, this is the, the rub, is that actually this isn't a solve it tick box exercise. Each of us has our own unique tune. Yes, there are processes, and that's what Leading by Nature is about, you know, helping guide people through the processes of this journey. Um, and yet each of us is walking into our own unique path, off the, the well-trodden path into the hinterlands of the soul. And that can feel quite scary it can feel like well why why need i do this because i'm successful i'm you know paying the school fees or you know living the whatever it is and and in, unless that knock inside is quite is getting louder and calling you there is quite a lot of courage required to walk off the beaten track and go into a a journey that is taking you into your own self yeah i want to start after the break i'd like to talk you know about the process for actually doing this um but this sounds very involved work can we do it fast enough what for the shifts that the world's going through yeah, yeah. I, I i think uh, there is a rhythm playing out much of which we are yet conscious of yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to put it well um we'll leave it there for for now we're going to the commercial break and after the commercial break we'll talk about about you know giles kind of process and journey to become a regenerative leader you might be thinking that you how do i make that transition from where i am now to where the world needs me to get to and maybe i need to get to for myself too so we're back again with you in just a couple of minutes
the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with giles hutchins and we're talking about regenerative leadership and you might be you might be sitting there thinking right now well you know i'm a I'm, I'm a leader or I'm, I intend to lead in the future. You know, some of the things that Giles has said has really kind of resonated with me. Uh, I know that things need to change. I want to play my part. And you might be wondering, what is the process of the journey that I'm going to need to go through to become a great regenerative leader? Um, we should also probably talk, Giles, before we, maybe before we go into that process, is... What is a great regenerative leader? We should maybe just touch on that so we can know where, know where we need to head. Yeah, well, I mean, a great leader, a great regenerative leader, I think first recognizes that the point of the journey is not to arrive. Now, that's a little phrase I often say I, I get some of my leaders just to, to reflect on. Um, the point of the journey is not to arrive because actually it's the journey itself. And the whole journey of becoming a regenerative leader is a spiraling, unfolding, like peeling back the onion. And the process of becoming a regenerative leader is the work. Now, there are, of course, lots of tools which we can come on to in a moment that help us with this. But a great leader is one that is no longer seeking. Yeah. So the first, uh, usually when I when pe- I come across people and people approach me, whether it's practitioners or leaders. You know, they're searching, they're seeking. That's the beginning. They're finding the call, as it were. 
Um, but then through the process, um, they start to develop that integration and it starts to becoming a knowing. And so I'd say a great leader is no longer seeker, but knows. They know how to be in service and they have that mastery. Now, of course, there's always slipping up. There's always areas of learning and the whole process is always becoming. So it's not like suddenly you're finished. No, but there is a deep sense of knowing who you truly are, why you're here and that ability to flow as life flows, to sense when we're not in flow and when we are in flow and to sense when the organization as a living system is in flow and really purposeful and not. So you have that sense of knowing and there are a number of leaders I coach of large and small organizations that are really getting that and you can see them and it's really exciting when you see them click into that and not just leaders as well there are people I coach who are um, you know in life just transforming they're in a stage of life where they're just shifting and that's helping them shift who they are and their life purpose yeah 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 you're resonating that um I look at my own work and just at the core of it today it's about energy and the flow of it yeah, uh, that, that, that's what it is. And it's um, took me quite a number of years to to realize that. Um, but that energy and the connection to that energy and it, it's it's just um, so important. But it is a, is a shift to realize that and appreciate it. I had one of my clients, the HR director, I said, you know, saying, saying to them that the work we were doing was actually all about energy. And so I've never, ever thought about that before. Never considered it before. And you can see her eyes starting to open and... Uh, uh, but I wouldn't, uh, two years previously when I'd spoken to I wouldn't have no. been able to have had that conversation with her even. Yeah. Because it made sense. Um, so, so this is a different way of being. It's, uh, it's, it's, like, is it, um, you know, are, are goals important still? Um, well, the interesting thing about this is I, I talk about it being a shift from achiever to regenerator or to becoming regenerative. And it is a shift. And we can talk about how that shift involves, you know, a, a process and essentially involves a death rebirth process. And I know that might sound significant, but it is. Um, and yet the reality is because our minds, our left brain hemispheres like to see something moving from something to something from stage A to stage B. And we have to work with that because it's dominant. But the reality is actually we are moving to achieve a not to achiever to regenerate. We're actually moving from achiever to achiever and regenerate it. We still need the achiever. You know, we still need to be able to get the job done, get out there and make things happen and have the ambition and the drive, but just not to the extent that it's starving our soul. That's, that's the point. Yeah. I've, I've, um, I've had uh, clients, for example, who've maybe got really, you know, for example, got really into meditation and then they get to a point where they do so much meditation that they're, they're they're almost as though they've um, been taking magic mushrooms. They, their 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 desire actually to achieve anything has has uh, gone into gone into a, a completely different state. So I think you you it's that balance, isn't it? It's that balance of actually if this if you're purposeful, you know why you're here, then that can help drive you along towards achieving something. But I suppose the message of this show is that ultimately we want to make sure that is 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 a good thing yeah a positive thing for the world so tell us a bit about your your process then the journey that someone goes to 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 try make this transition from leader to regenerative leader 
Yeah. So it's a spiraling process. But for the for, uh, for the purposes of the book, Leading by Nature, I keep it quite simple and use actually the framing of, of a U going down one side, along the bottom, up the other. And I also use some of the language of Otto Sharma's theory U. And so sort of the part one, if you like, of the book and also the, the process, the shift is opening into that shift and opening into the shift, letting go um, that inner turn, recognizing that something needs to change is I call sort of open mind where we're starting to draw upon living systems starting to look at how living systems work and applying that to leadership and organizational development there's all sorts of frames and tools that we can use like biomimicry and um, systems thinking and so forth but it's much at the head-based level it's not until we start moving down the u and actually start to have what i call embodying the shift along the bottom of the u um, which is the heart of the leading by nature process and that embodying the shift really is the inner journey and that naturally involves psychology a um, whole process of integration of starting to unpick those splits or fractures i talked about earlier and reintegrate ourselves so it's a death rebirth process and the interesting thing is is joseph campbell the famous mythologist uh, and many others um, that explored all the ancient wisdom traditions and great mystery schools around the world have recognized that there's this simple process in all of them, in all of the shamanic communities and all of the, the, the high cultures throughout the world. We see this process, this three stage process of departure, dismemberment, return or departure, death and then rebirth. And it's the same with this, you know, the departure, the opening into the shift, the exploring and learning from living systems to overcome that mechanistic materialism and then going into a process of embodying, letting go, opening into nature's wisdom, allowing that deep sense of interconnection so that we can integrate those fractures within ourselves. And then we can bring out into the world our service and we can allow a re rebirth, a return back into the world in service of something that is deeper within inside ourselves and within life itself. Okay, so so just so I've got, I understand that then the the opening the shift is really is a is a learning piece to open open your mind to what the context, the components, the elements of this, and then then you 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 go into an inner journey to embody that. So actually, it's not just something. It's not like reading reading your book and saying that oh, was great. I enjoyed enjoyed that, and and then putting it back on the shelf again. It's actually working with this such that you create a, an internal shift yeah and then basically it's then the the manifesting is what you go away and do with it yeah and that's why there's processes and framings in the book that help you then undergo that journey but uh, really that journey um you know it's, a, it's an inner journey and there's lots of trip wires and um, potential cul-de-sacs and um, marshy lands or whatever analogy you want to use so it, it is sensible perhaps to have a guide through that journey um, or many guides and, and um, you know, sense what's working for you. Uh, but essentially that's integrating the shadow. It's, it's cultivating wholeness. But what's interesting about regenerative leadership, it's not just working on ourselves. We're also working on the system in parallel. Yeah. So, and, and, and the important thing is back to our achiever and regenerator, if you're a business leader, you can't just suddenly go off and start working on yourself. The work, the prima materia, is what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis so we're not going off to the mountains we're not escaping we're in it and therefore we look at the organization as going through a shift and the fundamental shift is from seeing the organization as a machine 
top-down, hierarchic, siloed, you know, command and controlled, um, into actually seeing the organization as a living system and recognizing that it's full of these messy human relationships. And yet it has its own essence, its own evolutionary potential. And it's a developmental, it's a learning system that we can start holding space for and learning to sense into. So we're simultaneously working on ourselves whilst also working with the system. And the, the way we work with the system subtly shifts from a kind of control manage into a sense respond and we start to open. And with that actually comes more energy can flow through us because we're no longer grasping at life. We're actually starting to flow with it. You, you utilize in the, in the book, uh, a, a, a system that I've had some familiarity over the years, which is spiral dynamics to sort of yep. ex explain that. Uh, and that, that actually, if people sort of study the book, that does give a sense, doesn't it? Of the, of the journey really that we, that we need to go through. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Claire Graves is one of the original uh, thinkers behind that model. And there's many other models, adult developmental psychology models um, that really just show that as leaders, and they've studied with thousands of leaders, that we go through these shifts in meaning making. And what Claire Graves said is that, and he noticed this even in the 70s, um, but he said over the next couple of decades, we'd see more and more that this shift in meaning making, quite a significant shift. He's, he went as far as saying it's not merely a transition, to a new level of existence, but the start of a new movement in the symphony of human identity. And I love that because of the yeah. symphony aspect that we're in this movement, we're, we're tuning more deeply into nature. And one of the things that some people often overlook when looking at these models is how he recognized the importance of arcing back to some of the ancient wisdom traditions, to the shamanic um, deep sense of connectedness to nature that we're not turning our back on our past, we're reintegrating some of that earlier learning into our modern worldview. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's an interesting uh, and positive development that I, I'm certainly seeing that with people and hearing it, people I'm talking to about them getting closer to, um, you know, tri tribes people and uh, you know, Aboriginal communities. And um, I, I spent some time with the Maasai, which was really really fascinating and you, you know, believe me if you think if you sit there and you think these people are primitive you actually um get to know them and you realize that maybe you're the one who's primitive yeah uh, i think it was um ian mcgillcrest who's a beautiful scholar and neuroscientist who's written books about the left and right brain hemisphere who said that actually we may need to readjust our our perspective of these indigenous communities and perhaps begin to realize that they know more and see more about the world and about life and about nature and our place and purpose in it than we do. And I think that's part of what I'm exploring here is that we've got ourselves caught up in quite a narrowed view. Um, it might be quite focused in some regard, you know, focused on technology and getting things done and so forth. But we need to start now widening that. Doesn't mean to say we have to lose, you know, the fruits of the mechanistic materialism, but we do need to open it out and start to bring in this deeper sense of connectedness with life. Yeah. In this um in this sort of change um process, this um this shift, there was a, a phrase that um stuck out for me in your book, which was chaotic. Yeah, chaotic, yeah. Chaotic, sorry, chaotic. Do you, do you want to explain that? Because I think yeah. that's quite relevant. 
Yeah, it is. It's, a, it's like a fusion of chaos and order. So it's very interesting. What we find it actually comes from D. Hock, who was the founder of Visa, one of the most successful financial institutions the world has ever seen. And he used chaotic as a way of allowing that institution, very um, large organization around the world, to constantly adapt and evolve to an ever-changing industry by balancing or working with the tension of chaos and order. Now, actually, in regenerative leadership, because I work with living systems, the language I use is divergence and convergence. So divergence is that, you know, the more you have of that, the more creative, the more diversity, you open up to new perspectives, too much of that, and you get chaos. Uh, convergence is order, is structure, is alignment, is your project plans, is, you know, your clear definition of these are our values, this is our charter and so forth too much of that and you get rigidity you know things get tight so you need to hold that and i talk about it being like the rhythm of life like the two banks of the river that we hold this flow in um divergence and convergence so we're working with that tension all the time of when do we need a bit more divergence when do we need a bit more convergence so that's the sweet spot of the chaotic zone really that's really fascinating i mean some people um, it has been worked on about you know moving towards sort of tier organizations and just i don't know whether because it's sapphire the um at the sort of top of that sort of journey and I, and I and that's always when i'm i'm working with people and uh sharing those those desires that's always my mind the intention is my mindfulness that the the, the risk is no structure could cause chaos yes and it's kind of it, it it's it's a very interesting thing to get your head around isn't it is that is that better to move there but actually will, will i achieve the results i want to do and will people be happy if if it feels like the rug's been pulled out of them from underneath them because they don't know you know who i report to anymore or oh definitely <laughs> yeah i mean i mean teal is actually a very important i think um uh, movement that we're seeing and it's very much got aspects of 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 a regenerative leader in them and we ha actually had one of my clients here today um, she's head of business and uh, people and culture for an organization that is, you know, I've been helping move to a more self-managing organization. And what we're finding is that some leaders, and it's perhaps through laziness, um, which we all have, um, you know, sort of use the excuse of self-managing for sort of essentially sort of letting go of leadership. And that's not the case at all. When we, and this is why I work with nature, because it's very powerful. When we look into nature, we don't see that it doesn't have structure, quite the contrary. It has lots of patterns and rhythms, including divergence and convergence. That's a, 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 a rule or a principle we can take from nature. And so self-managing is a principle that happens in nature. Um, and yet that doesn't mean to say it's just a sort of, you know, hands off. No, quite the contrary. You have to have a great clear sense of purpose. But rather than that convergence coming through power and control, which actually Kind of undermines the vitality um, of people and we know that we don't like to be told what to do you know it just sort of reduces us down that instead you have that sense of purpose you have that clarity around values that so you have that emotional intelligence that guides you and so you're allowing a developmental organization that actually encourages people to become more of who they truly are which is challenging you know it's psychologically safe environment you're wanting people to learn and develop and grow but it's developmentally challenging. There's no doubt about it. And, and a lot of people aren't up for that. They prefer to work in an organization where they're just told what to do and they can go home at night. Yeah. One of the things you, you, you do, uh, and you, do, you have, you have this 60, 60 acres that you take people and, uh, you, you sort of, you know, emerge them 
um, if, it, if it's probably very wet, almost submerge them in nature, um, I can imagine. Um, tell us a little bit about that and, you know, the sort of experience that people have and what they learn by actually being under the in the, in the forest. Yeah. Well, I, I've learned over the years that actually trees are very powerful. Um, and I'm lucky, we're very fortunate here as a family to live in a piece of ancient woodland that has been woodland for at least the last thousand or so years way back to the druids the indigenous people here and it's got a it's got a powerful field there's no doubt about it and um allowing people taking people into nature whether it be for instance the ceo who was here yesterday evening who had an overnight solo or whether it be a group of leaders coming together quite quickly through a process and i explain this process in the book quite quickly people let go of that protection racket that we have when we're in the office or when we're, you know, essentially managing others' impressions of ourselves. You know, we're constantly giving this psychic energy to making ourselves look okay and composed. That goes when you're in nature. Now, even if you're in a corporate hotel, and I used to run workshops ages ago in corporate hotels, outside on the lawn where we're meant to be out in nature, people don't lose their guard. They're still in an, in a, an environment where they feel they're being kind of watched or they need to manage themselves. When you're in nature, in the wild, in the, it, 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 quite quickly people start to, you know, those, those protection rackets start to ease. And aiding that is my own process of allowing and working with intentionally with that person. And before you know it, within an hour of being with them in a coaching session, they are in a completely different space. And that is just the beginning then of being able to do deep work. So if it's a one-to-one -one session, it's usually at least two and a half hours um, together so we can get somewhere and if it's the first time i'm with them probably three and then we have you know a journey but sometimes people come and come overnight you know so this particular gentleman yesterday came about four o'clock left about nine o'clock this morning he's a busy business leader all sorts going on in his workplace and to give himself that space was quite a challenge but actually it was deeply rewarding you know and that'll pay off for weeks to come um, i actually have a, a swedish ceo she comes and she's now does three nights in the woods you know the first time she came it was one night and then the next year it was two nights and now it's three nights and actually brought her leadership team here uh, the last time after her three nights then her leadership team came for a couple of nights so it's very simple it's very basic here you're, you're sleeping you're either camping or you know a simple cabin the whole point is you're getting away from it you're in nature and yet we're not in some far removed place in Romania or Scotland or or the outback we're you know a short train ride from London, international airports and, and trains. Um, so I've got a leadership team coming next week from Paris, for instance, just for the day. Um, so that's the, the, the edge we walk, um, allowing people to run a strategy meeting in the woods with um, batteries because we don't have electricity down there and, and, and the screen so they can have their projector and the flip chart. <laughs> but at the same token, be able to take people out of the normality and allow them to soften and really connect yeah fantastic we've just got a a couple of minutes now um before i need to wrap up the interview um do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with gosh well um what a fascinating time to be alive quite frankly it's all it's all happening um i've seen it really accelerate over the last um couple of decades i mean i've been in business transformation for 25 years now and really just over the last 10 years i've really seen some quite interesting movements happen in the um 
the psyche. Um, but I feel that the leaders of the future coming through of any age um, that can allow their organizations to be future fit, to truly adapt and evolve in these times, are ones that are able to tap into this different quality of consciousness, this heart consciousness, that are able to use their head as a tool, um, but allow that deeper wisdom that is essentially coming through nature, through source, into them, and be in service of that. Now, that in itself is a surrendering process, is a process of allowing ourselves to serve and trust and flow with life. But when that happens, it's deeply rejuvenating it's deeply beneficial for the the leaders and for the people around them and more and more people now and there are case studies in the book more and more leaders and organizations are starting to embark on this journey so i i i see great hope uh, in the midst of a darkening hour let's put it like that before the dawn yeah that's that's that's, that's amazing i'm just kind of um also just uh thinking now before we go you know how as a you're doing this amazing work and it, it is it's heart-centered it's it, it's important it's um it is regenerative how do you deal with do or do you ever feel a sense of frustration in terms of your contribute your contribution to the change because it needs to happen doesn't it we all kind of feel like as a we need to be doing more we're reaching more people and uh how do you deal with that if you well think? i used to be quite frankly, and that frustration drove a lot of my activities and ambition and so on. Um, and yet over the years, I've come to settle into what I said just before the break, which is actually there was all sorts going on, all manner of things going on that quite frankly are beyond what our grasping ego consciousness is aware of. And I trust that process. So my job is to show up, do the work, and it's one, uh, I think the analogy is one starfish at a time. Um, you know, that um, I never forget being on holiday once with, um, this was many years ago, being in a swimming pool in Cuba when I was picking out these these bees that had got themselves on the swimming pool. They couldn't get out because of the edge of the swimming pool. I was picking them all out. And, was, and there's a chap next to the swimming pool who was watching me. He was going, why are you bothering? There's just so many of them. And I said, well, because for each one, this is freedom. And it's the same, you know, let's just do our bit. Um, I don't think we have to change the world. I think we have to perhaps just work with what's in front of us and then things have a habit of unfolding. Fantastic. It's been a, a fantastic conversation. I've loved, loved talking to you. Uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in this interview for people to take away and reflect upon and, and consider. Um, as a sort of a final message, I remember... Um, as, as, a, as a quote by Rumi, um, which was, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise, so I'm changing myself. Uh, and I think maybe that's uh, a way to end this. It's a, it is a journey that starts with you. It starts with each of us. Um, so I wish everybody well on this journey. Uh, please go away and reflect on this. Um, the book's uh, Leading by Nature. Um, the website to find out more is gileshutchins.com. And on next week's show, um, we have another amazing guest. We have John Spencer. He's a retired U.S. Army officer, researcher, author. He's uh, probably the world's leading expert. He is the world's leading expert on urban warfare, actually. And he, he wrote uh, a book called The Mini Manual for the Urban Defender, uh, which um, has been issued out to pretty much everybody in Ukraine. Uh, we're going to talk about the battle for Kiev, which is um, 
researching this and talking to John is something quite extraordinary. And we can draw parallels as, as leaders um, that um, could be very helpful when it comes to dealing with challenges and issues. So do join us for that interview next week with John and do check out all the great work that Giles Hutchins is doing. Any questions or comments, send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk and, and go away, have a, a wonderful week and uh, yeah, take a little look at yourself. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.